This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, before we get the show started, Horse Radio Network for the first time has a wide selection of Horse Radio Network merchandise available for the holidays. Hats, saddle pads, masks, clothing, mugs, and so much more, either screen printed or embroidered. Get your orders in now for you or your HRN listening friends. Visit horseradionetwork.com and click on the banner on the homepage today. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Tara Tibbetts coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. You are listening to our monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 17th, episode 2582. Good morning, Horse World. This is our very special monthly episode about fox hunting. We come to you the third Thursday of every month. So if you want to keep up with fox hunting and learn more about it, put the third Thursday on your calendar. It's fun. I get to sit down and geek out on all things fox hunting. I don't get to fox hunt too often anymore, um, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy chatting about it and hearing everybody's amazing stories. I think fox hunting is second only to endurance when it comes to the level of adventure stories that you get, because a lot of fox hunters have to do quite a bit of, there's a lot of travel involved and there are a lot of unknowns every time you oh, go out. Yes. Yeah. So one yes. of the things, one of the, my favorite things to do, and we get to do it at the beginning of the show each month is hear about some of them, those unknowns, Tara, what are some <laughs> of your adventures now, just because you had an adventure and you want to share it, doesn't mean you should. This is a family show. Right, for sure. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually, I've had a couple. So, and they've all been in the last, like, eight days. Oh, really? So, yes. It, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a month. Um, so, last week, I noticed, uh, kind of just through the fall, that Simon has, Simon's my fox hunter. He's an off-track thoroughbred. He's six. Um he had some white hairs behind his withers, Uh-oh. not like big white patches, but white hairs. And they've kind of come and gone on the left side a few times, but there was a fairly large ish patch on the right side. And I hunt with a, um, just a, a plain foam flocked saddle. That is, I shouldn't say it's unremarkable, but it's just, I like the leather. It's grippy. It's comfortable. Simon never has shown any discomfort, but I just was a little bit concerned about it. So I have a few friends in, in this area who've purchased Loxley saddles, um, which are made in England. They're all wool flocked. Uh, I feel like the English saddles, like the English made saddles, they don't put quite the emphasis on the buttery leather that the French saddles do, but they, they have the wool flocking and what anyway. So I was like, I want to try a wool flock saddle and I wanted a, professional saddle fitter to come out and look at him. Not someone who necessarily just works for brands, but actually has accreditation for saddle fitting. Gotcha. So it did work out that this accredited saddle fitter is a rep of Loxley and a couple of other different brands. So she came out, looked at my horse, whatever. Well, he has the beginning of actual muscle damage Wow! from the saddle. And she, He's, there's a bump under the white hair and she explained how, you know, it usually is like the white hair shows up about a season after like that, that the, you know, quote unquote trauma happened. And mm-hmm. what I think it is, is I think when I ride him in the forward seat for, you know, an hour or two and I'm fox hunting, it's not as, as damaging, but I trail rode him a ton this summer and we would ride for two and three and four hours and I would just be sitting on him oh, the whole time because we did. Yes. Yeah, that, that makes a difference. Absolutely. Yes. So I went into this thinking, 
I, you know, we might shim it or pat it or I, I ended the, the, the day with a new saddle. (laughs) (laughs) I, I wonder what percentage of human beings end up in that state after a saddle fitter of any sort comes to their barn. <laughs> well, and I, and I should say, she did not make me feel like I needed to buy a saddle because we put, I have a super fancy Antari saddle that I use for my show hunter. And we put that on him. And she said, I wouldn't put this saddle back on him, meaning the one I use for hunting. She said, but I think if you need to make something work, this other saddle's fine. And I'm like, I am not fox hunting in that freaking calfskin Antari, calfskin Antaris. <laughs> like, I just, not doing it. So, and I, I want my horses to have separate saddles for multiple reasons. And so we just, and it turned out that she, all of my previous saddles have been 18 inches. Cause I'm fairly tall and on legged. I'm about five, eight with like a 32 inch inseam ish, 30 inch inseam, something like that. Um, and she happened to have an 18 or an 18 and a half that she was selling for somebody. And then she had two stock saddles that were 17 and a half jump saddles. And so I tried everything she had and they all felt fine for me. They fit Simon remarkably better. Interesting. As I said, I never noticed any behavior from him, but I could feel an improvement and, and she, and because they're wool, the one that I ended up buying, she actually was able to put a little bit of flocking in to accommodate his back right now. Mm-hmm. So, Tara got a new saddle last week. Tara got now. What is it new to you, or is it new new? It's brand new. It's brand new. So you have to break it in. Yeah. Ugh. Is it is it the hard, crunchy, stiff, last for six generations leather? I would say it's kind of an in between. Yeah. Um. It's a little bit. The leathers, like I said, the leathers a little bit smoother than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. My my other my previous hunt saddle was a grain leather, but it was and not new buck, but it just it was grippier. This one's mm-hmm. not quite as grippy. But so I fox hunted in it this weekend. We a couple friends and I went to um we had the guests on last month or the month before from Ozark Highland Hounds. We went to their inaugural opening hunt this weekend in Missouri. And, you know, there's nothing like, let's buy a saddle Wednesday and then go fox hunting in it on Sunday. Oh, you're, you're taking some risks, girl. <laughs> but it, 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 and I think this is the, the best sign. My saddle never crossed my mind the whole day. That's, see, that means the saddle fits. I'm, and I've, I've mentioned that to other people. When you get a new saddle, I'm always suspicious of a saddle that you, I'm going to use my air quotes again, have to get used to. Yes. Now the tactile feel, yes, like you said, that the leather has a different tactile feel, but yes. you should be able to get into it and ride in it for the first time and it is in no way, shape or form a distraction or you even notice it. That's that bodes very well. Yes. And and we I don't know, it never occurred to us to ask before this, but their coops were big. I mean, I want to say the second jump. I asked one of the eventers in the field who events prelim. So I, I trust that she under, she can tell the, the size of a fence. And she's, we're pretty sure the second coop was three, six. I've never jumped three, six. <laughs> well, good thing you didn't know beforehand then. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. That's well now does, does it match your other bits of strap goods or are you feeling it the does. need to get stuff to match? <laughs> well, ironically, I, for whatever reason, decided I had some money burning a hole in my pocket and I opted a few weeks, like I w- almost a week and a half before I ended up needing to buy a new saddle. I was like, I'm going to treat myself to a very nice hunt bridle. So <laughs> I'll be kidding. A brand new fancy hunt bridle in January and hopefully it matches. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. There you go. But um, it matches everything I currently have. And honestly, yeah. I'm not super into matchy matchiness and I, I, yeah, the saddle's brown. All the tack I have is brown. Yeah. So it's brown. It's all varying shades yeah. of brown. Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss good leather tack. I really do. Yeah. Cause you usually use wind tack because of your climate, right? Everything I own, I have exactly one piece of leather, well, two pieces of leather tack yet. I own one leather halter and I have one black leather girth. So if there's somebody out there who needs a 52 inch black Steuben leather girth, give me a, drop me an email. It's looking for a home. <laughs> um, 
And that's it. Everything else is synthetic be- just because yeah. my tack lives outdoors in central Florida. Yep. You know, and I'm, I'm a, I love good leather tack. Yes. I'm not a tack and snob. Maybe- I will take cheap leather tack when I need it. But right. I love good leather tack. Just, just nice. Um, well, and I, you know, I've done this long enough to realize I have a few, you know, um, house brand bridles that from, ta- you know, the big tax stores and mm-hmm. I hate them <laughs> and I take really good care of my stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I built Kevin and I built my own barn. My tack room is heated and air conditioned. Like, Oh, you lucky clam you. Yeah. It's, it's, I have the, the facilities for it. And you know, I, I know I take good, I have my dad's bridles from when I was like wow, that's a child. Cool. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm just, it's not, Simon's not going to grow out of it. And he's he's six years old. So assuming, you know, nothing goes awry, he, we should have a long career together. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And for for me back in the day, because I spent a lot of years using what, what you refer to as the house brand attack for a lot of years, it wasn't till I was well into my forties that I could afford to buy decent stuff. Um, and for me, what, Made it made a piece of leather work tolerable because it was going to be inexpensive. If the tabs fit into the keepers and the runners, I was okay. Yeah. Didn't matter how cheap the rest of it was and whether or not it smelled like a dirty old camel. As long as the keepers and the runners worked, I could put up with just about anything. But when you buy a new piece of tack and you can't shove the tab into the keeper, yes. I, I need to throw a brick at something. I have one bridle that's actually a fairly nice bridle that the keepers fall off. They slide Ooh, down. Nah, yeah, I that that's reason for me to return a bridle. Oh, can't yeah. cannot mm-mm, can't put up with that at all. So new yeah. tack, new bridle, happier horse. Yes, we're going to be so we're just going to be turned out to the nines. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. Well, and then funny, you know, I I was like, I got this new saddle and I needed to ride my other horse. And I was like, oh, I'll try her. You know, I'll just put it on her. So I ride in it a couple of times before the hunt. And I'm not going to go into this like rabbit hole, but she was a a different animal. Her behavior change was significantly more noticeable than Simon's. Um, So the fitter's coming back in January. (laughs) There you go. I'm going to ride her in it a couple more times and see if it was just a fluke, if she was just, you know, in a good mood that day. But she always pins her ears and kicks up for the first five to ten minutes of every ride. And I've done everything. We've x-rayed her back. We've x-rayed her hocks. We've x-rayed her stifles. We've done all the therapies you can dream of doing the therapies. We've treated her for ulcers. We've put her on hormones. We've, I mean, I've been throwing time, effort, energy, and money at her bitchiness for years. And I'd, I'd tried different saddles and I'd had her fitted by other fitters. And this was the happiest she's been under a saddle ever. That will be interesting to test it a couple more times and see if it, right? it sticks. Wow. So yeah. then you can just get the exact same saddle twice. And that, that well, way, if she gets a new own. saddle, she, I'm like, because that's the nice thing about this brand. Like, if I, if I order a saddle, it won't cost much different than what I paid for the one that I bought that she had. Like it's, yeah. they're pretty consistent in their pricing. So yeah. if Coco gets a new saddle. She's getting a fully custom ordered saddle. There you go. With so. a nameplate on the back. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. Saddle fit. It's such a, you're right. It's a huge. Hole. It's a rabbit hole. It's a huge, but it's such a big deal. It is. Yeah. There you go. Well, Onto new adventures, but um, so yeah. new saddles. And um, speaking of colors, brown tack, black tack. Mm-hmm. Does anybody? Do you know anybody who hunts in black tack? No, but I know quite a few people who have been told they couldn't hunt because they had black tack and it was really? inappropriate. Really, mm-hmm. I have hunted in black tack for many a year. Now, mind you, I'm a guest. I always show up a guest, and right. I, haven't, I haven't had anybody kick me out of the field yet. Yeah, and I, a couple people had stories about it. And what's funny is I follow tons of hunts in the UK and Europe, and 50 to 70% of the people over there are riding in black tack. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it might just be one of those, um, it's a reason to create an exclusive exclusivity to it. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Yeah. That That yeah. is... My, you know, my 
hope with this podcast and just, you know, fox hunting in general. And, and I appreciate and love the tradition and all of those things about fox hunting as much or more as the next person. But there's just some insignificant things that it's like, why would you make somebody feel not welcome over something as ridiculous as the color of their saddle? Unless yeah. it's like... Now, if they're pink. wearing a pink one, that... Right. You know, because you can get tack in all kinds of really wacko, crazy colors, but black versus brown tack on your horse, I agree. That's that's a little bit... Yeah. A little bit petty, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. And if you have hate mail, please send it. HorseRadioNetwork.com. And um, speaking of colors, colors has a fancy um, meaning in the fox hunting industry. Please explain what that is. Yes. So I, you know, and I was, I always do a little research when I decide what the term of the month is. And colors is one of those things. And we're, we're going to be talking later on the podcast to a show hunter rider and the hot topic always with with hunters in, in the United States, obviously is the only place hunters really exist, but it's just people complaining about, you know, they can't wear this color, this, and that's a dumb rule and whatever. And they don't really understand the basis of it. But one of the things is colors in a fox hunt, you'll hear it, you'll hear the term used. And what it means is, is the, uh, you, the masters of a hunt that you have joined at their discretion will award members colors. And it means that every hunt has their own set colors that they predetermined and whatnot. And the members who have been awarded their colors have certain colors, a fabric that is sewn onto their coat's collar. Um, So you'll be riding in the hunt field and say uh, for Brazos Valley here in Texas, of which I'm a member, the hunt colors are hunter green and gold. So the members who have been awarded their colors by the masters have green on the top part of the collar with gold piping. Um, Fort Leavenworth in Kansas is solid green and uh, Cloudline in Texas is a light blue like clouds. So it's an honor to get your colors and different hunts have different it's not really a rules thing as much as the masters or whomever they have selected to choose who gets their colors, just kind of, um, they evaluate, so to speak, you remember, you, do you, you know, are you involved in the hunt? Do you, you know, you're nicely turned out, your horse is well-groomed. Are you, do you participate in hunt activities? Um, or are you a compliment to that hunt and that organization and, um, so it's kind of an award and it's kind of a, a status thing. It's definitely and, a status thing. Because yes. And it, you can be the member of a fox hunt for many, many a year and not get colors. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's de- you know, that's definitely very true. And um, I think I was a member of Brazos Valley for two years when I got my colors. Um, and And when you're in the hunt field, when you're actually riding and hunting, Colors determines the hierarchy of where you can ride in the field. So red coats always are in the front. Colors go behind red coats. Members go behind colors. And then guests go behind members. And some hunts are very diligent about following those rules. Other hunts are a little bit more flexible in, in terms of rider skill. And right. and it, it, can uh, be, it can be a little bit tough when you have all those varying so, varying levels of who gets to ride in what order because hello you're you're cruising along at quite a pace it's not like it's a trail ride right and then you have different fields on top of that so if you're new to fox hunting and you're a guest it really is ideal to go out with a member who invited you wish yes. you're a guest or if you're just capping you just called them on the phone and said hey can i cap to introduce yourself and find someone who is a member and ask if you can basically ride with them in whatever field yes. you, you chosen to be riding in because otherwise you can find yourself in the wrong spot in the field and feathers will get ruffled. Yes. Yes. I've done that. Yeah. Experience talking here. Yes. <laughs> because everybody starts to look the same. Everybody's wearing a black coat and yep. this person has colors and that person has, that person's visiting from another hunt. So they have different colors and it can get pretty confusing. And some people with colors don't care. Right. And, there's that all, much and they'll, about, they'll oh, wave at you and say, oh, no, go ahead of me. I'm riding in the back today. And that just makes it even more confusing. <laughs> right. But then other members will get pretty PO'd and yeah. they'll tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And the other thing to know about colors is if you have been awarded colors by your home hunt that you, of which you're a member, you should always ask when you're going to visit another hunt if it's appropriate for you to wear your colors. I've never gone anywhere that they didn't allow yeah, guests to wear colors from other hunts, but some some hunts don't allow it. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious about that because I was aware of that tradition that you ask. But I've never heard anybody address what are the criteria? Why do some hunts allow it and some don't? I'm curious. I I could just imagine that that's something that goes back years and years and years about um, some hierarchical thing. Yeah. Like, you know, and again, that's that's I want people to know as much as possible that every hunt I've ever ridden out with and I've ridden out with quite a few at this point, they've all been welcoming and encouraging and never spiteful and ugly about, Oh, you're, you're not dressed right. You can't come out. You know, they're, they're, they're all, they want, you know, hunts want to thrive and they want new members. And, and a lot of the hunts, especially out West are, um, I was reading the big sky hounds website last week. They have, um, appropriate attire listed, including colors for riders who ride Western. Oh, wow. How cool. That's very yeah. forward thinking of them. Yep. Good for them. Yep. That's and a good idea. So, and I, you know, and that's, I, I think that that's valuable as fox hunting continues to go forward to yeah. not be so yeah. haughty and exclusive. I don't think in this day, in the 21st century, fox hunts are more and more welcoming riders who ride in non-traditional fox hunting tack. For example... Um, Western tech. Mm-hmm. I don't look at that morph that morphosis any different than in 1850 when women started to ride astride. Now it is perfectly appropriate for everyone to ride astride or aside, whichever they like, regardless of their gender. But I'm sure at some point in history, every every fox hunt that allowed women to ride astride raise the eyebrows of some other hunt. And from my point of view, it's no different now. A couple of hunts are going to be very forward thinking and they're going to go, you know, we need to broaden our horizons a little bit and welcome people who are using Western tack. Let's give them guidelines, just like we give people with English tack guidelines. Mm -hmm. And that way, when people do come out to hunt and they're riding Western, they can feel comfortable that they are honoring the tradition of our hunt. Yes, it's a brand new tradition, but hello, every tradition is new at some point. (laughs) Well, and and it it goes back to, you know, a lot of, if you read hunt websites and talk to masters, a lot of what the reasons today that hunts want people to turn out, you know, look nice and clean and those things is to respect the landowners. Absolutely. And it's it's the same thing that, you know, even if you... A, a lot of landowners, especially in Texas, definitely don't write English. And so they don't feel welcome Yeah, if it's a hunt that d- doesn't allow Western tack, which, yes. you know, that that's a property. For, and I think that's true of a lot of hunts. But then, you know, you feel less like an outsider if you are afforded the opportunity to use the tack you're comfortable in, but you still can meld into the look of the group to make you feel like you're part of the group. Absolutely. Yes. You that want to sense. feel, you want to feel part of the group. You don't want to be the, the odd man out. And if you ride Western, if you ride Western and you're a barrel racer or you ride Western and you do Western pleasure, or you ride Western and you do trail rides or you ride Western and you do ranch work, the attire for both horse and rider varies enormously in those different disciplines. Yes. So to create guidelines like that, that is just so smart because otherwise you just like, oh, what's allowed and what's not. That's yep. lovely. I think that's that was a great idea on them. I do too. I think it, it's, and they say, and I think it was on the Big Sky Hounds website where they talk about that, you know, as someone gets more and longer involved in fox hunting, if this, you know, somebody who's really into it, they're more than likely going to, sooner or later, um, adopt the traditional, you know, especially if they want to jump, they're going to adopt traditional hunting tack and attire. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty of people who just, I'm sure just more are going to want to ride Western and stay back in the hilltopping group and are perfectly happy with that and enjoy that they feel welcomed. Right. Exactly. And the industry, horse industry, I'm saying not, not just fox hunting, the horse industry 
needs more of those people. It's so easy to focus on people who are going to transition into what you might call full-timers. Right. The problem is only X percentage of those people are turned into full-timers. We need to um, respect and embrace those fan-level equestrians. They only go out two, three times a year. They, sometimes they might bring a friend along who's in town. They never go and get English tack. They always show up um, appropriately attired in their Western gear. But that person only goes out a couple times a year. But that person is a fan, and he is going to support the, the sport, the discipline, the industry, in the eyes of the public who know nothing. Right. So and if, probably is going to come to your social events yeah. and might buy stuff at your silent auction. Right. You know, and when somebody says, oh, that fox hunting thing, that shouldn't be allowed. That person who enjoys fox hunting and is welcomed each and every time they show up is a mo- lot more likely to say, now, hold on there. Wait a minute. You don't know right. anything about fox hunting, but I do. Right. So we need more of those. So Absolutely. Yay again. Yay again. Look at us talking about the big picture. I know. I know. So colors. A, a, once again, something that sounds simple is kind of complex. Yeah. And it's yeah, colors is definitely one of those things that, you know, like, like I said, there's not like a tried and true, you do this and you'll get your colors. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some hunts it's, it's somewhat political. Um, I haven't really. It's a little bit like being the prom queen or prom king. Yeah. A little bit of that. But I do know folks who've gotten colors from multiple hunts. So that's another thing to know is that like I have a friend that I travel with quite a bit and she's a member of four hunts. Wow. And at one, cause you can, most hunts have away memberships that are significantly less costly. But if you, if you go hunt with them a couple times a year, it basically pays the capping fees. Yeah. Um, but I believe she had colors from two hunts at one time. And so, Yeah. Don't kill. Well, that's neat. Well, we've got a lovely guest to chat with coming up here. Uh, Candace Miller, author of a great new young person's book that uh, has a horse theme to it. And we're going to get right to Candace after we hear from our sponsor today, Horseware. Yes, Horseware. They make blankets. They make people clothing. They make dog blankets. Let's hear a little bit more. We as equestrians have a lot on our plates. In addition to careers and often kids, there's the myriad of details of managing your horse's life, feeding schedule, vet records, and of course, what clothes to put on them. Well, guess what? There's an app for that, and it's called HorsePal. HorsePal has a robust range of horsekeeping features, plus Horseware's exclusive rug advisor. Using your local weather forecast and some seriously complex algorithms, it recommends what rugs your horse should be wearing. Plus, the small sensor sits inside your horse's rug, continuously monitoring their temperature and measuring the humidity. By tracking all of your horse's data and saving it to your smartphone's app, you will be afforded the knowledge of your horse's comfort when to and when to change your horse's rugs and keep accurate information. Check out the Horseware mobile and web application today by going to horsepal.com or you can go to horseware.com and click on the Horsepal app link at the bottom of the page. Horsepal.com or horseware.com. So I think about a week or so ago, Jen, my co-host, tagged me on a post in the Fox Hunters on Facebook about a new children's book that was written that was had some foundations in fox hunting. And so I did a little bit of sleuthing and was fortunate enough to get in touch with Candace Miller, who's joining us today to talk about this splendid little book. So Candace, welcome to Horses in the Morning. And why don't we start off with, tell us where you are and tell us a little bit about your horsey self. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm new to your podcast. So I've, I'm so happy that I've, uh, I've found you guys. It's a, it's a great podcast. I love it. Um, so I've been riding, I'm, I'm long in the tooth here. I've been riding 50 years and started foxing probably about 15 years ago uh, with Marlboro Hunt in um, Upper Marlboro in Maryland. And uh, I live in Annapolis. Oh, so nice. prior to fox hunting, yeah, prior to fox hunting, I rode hunters and I rode for a college team and did all of that. And then... Um, one year, we're not too far from Middleburg, Virginia. So one year we went in to see the, the uh, Christmas 
parade up Main Street where the fox hunt comes up and whatever. And uh, my husband and I were there and I said, you know, I really would love to do that before I die. So I just started looking for a hunt horse and sort of the rest is history. We had 15 years of really fun times with Marlboro Hunt. Very nice. Well, then mm-hmm. why don't you go ahead and tell us about Beaufort? Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, first of all, I started, I had a, a hunt horse off the track that was trained uh, for someone uh, for me in Culpeper. And I hunted him probably seven years, eight years. And uh, he just sort of aged out. And then um, I started looking for another horse. And at 60 something, you know, it was getting difficult to find a horse that I could ride that I felt safe on, et cetera. And I tried probably, I've probably had about five horses come to the farm and we tried them and various things happened. And I got hurt. My trainer got hurt. A lot of people got hurt. Oh no! And then Beaufort, yeah. And then Beaufort came along and, uh, turns out he was a former PTSD therapy horse in another life. And oh, wow. I thought, well, He's going to be perfect because I have PTSD from looking at all these crazy horses. (laughs) And uh, he'd only hunted one or two times, but, um, you know, he was just so quiet. He had a a great demeanor about him and he wasn't too big and he, you know, he's just perfect for me. So uh, we bought him and um, that's, you know, I just loved that horse. He was just fabulous. And, um, so that's sort of where that started. I had, I, I hunted him, I guess it was two years and, uh, he's retired now. So is, was he older when you got him or did he get an injury? Yeah. No, he, he was, he was a little bit older. I think I bought him when he was about 14, Okay. um, which was great, but I bought him from an area in Southern Maryland where it's very flat no hills or whatever. And he was just, you know, he did some school lessons and things like that. And then when I bought him, you know, we went right out into the hunt field with him and um, he took to it. It was great. Never had a day's problem with him, but he did get EPM and, um, you know, we treated him for, for, oh gosh, about six months, I guess. And uh, it just didn't, you know, he, he did, he, he, reacted well with the medication, but, you know, talking to a lot of people and talking to my vet, they all thought that probably the stress of hunting would maybe bring on another bout. And he did fall with me. So, you know, we just said somebody's going to get hurt here. So, uh, so he's retired at a small farm near here where I live, which is great. Well, and one key, key characteristic of Beaufort that we should definitely emphasize is he is a beautiful black and white paint. Um, you know, and I was, that would probably be the last like color combination I would look for in the hunt field. Oh, yes. Sort of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a traditionalist and I thought, I really don't know if I want to paint, but boy, he surprised me and he was just, he was great. And the story came about um, uh, the day, the first day he was uh, hunted, a friend of mine who was also a trainer, Philippa Boughton, um, took him out. And was riding him, and our huntsman Jason Cole was riding his mare through the woods, and um, we called her the one-eyed mare. She only had one eye, so she was very distinctive. And she saw my horse through the woods over a crossing. She saw him through the woods and gave Jason this huge spook because she thought he was a cow. Oh no! According to Jason, so that that sort of clicked with me, and I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, Jason at the time was the um, Jason Beaufort was the uh, uh, the only paint in the field at the time, and you know, he was a bit unique. So that's what sort of started the whole story in my head, and I just started writing down little antics that he would do, and you know, thoughts in my head about writing a children's story because I now had um, a grandchild, and um, that's how it all started. And so how long did it artist? take for the story to kind of mm-hmm. flush itself out to where it got to where I think I have a book here? Oh, you do? <laughs> no, like how uh, long oh, did sorry. it for yeah. you? How long yeah. did that process take? Yeah, um, probably about six months or so. It didn't take very long to write the story, but, um, you know, it, it took a while to kind of get it all together so it was cohesive. And then I tried one artist, um, someone introduced me to an artist, and 
he was not an equestrian or a horse person and it just did not work out. And then I was introduced to Jocelyn Sandor Urban, who is an established equine artist in her own right. And she has a beautiful website, Urban, Urban Visual Media, I think, is the name of it. And um, she does commission work, et cetera. And she'd never done a, a book before. And a friend of mine in the hunt club said, you know, I know her, maybe she'd be interested. And I couldn't believe it when she agreed to, to do the, the artwork. And that took, that took about a year. And I think it was a bigger project than she anticipated because Beaufort being a paint, yes. you know, we had to get the same, <laughs> same markings on every page to look like it's a, the same horse. So that was, that was a challenge, but she did a beautiful job. The artwork is really just gorgeous. Yeah, it's, I, I haven't I haven't gotten my hands on the book yet. It wasn't quick enough, but I did order it for my niece for Christmas. Um, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I, I'm I'm all about you know enabling the the horse obsession. Was it was it difficult <laughs> to find a publisher for your story, or is that a more achievable thing now because of the age of the internet and self publishing? You know, um, it it is very difficult. Um, you need an agent, and it could take it could take two to three years before you would even get an answer from some of the publishers. I've learned this sort of the hard way. And so to kind of get it out there before, you know, it was just hanging on too long. I got a a publisher, a self publisher. And because all the artwork and the text and everything was already complete um, through a lot of help from uh, friends of mine that were, um, uh, graphic artist, et cetera. And my, oh, my nice. daughter is, uh, yeah, my daughter's a graduate from uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. And so she helped quite a bit. So I got a self-publisher, uh, self-publishing company, and uh, they were terrific, uh, Gatekeepers Press. And they got it out, you know, within probably three months. So oh, wow. that's what, yeah, that's what I needed because I, I do know the publishing process and to get a publisher can really take years. It's it's so. pretty ridiculous is what it is. Yeah. And how neat that you had the, book, you know, <laughs> that you had the foresight to have the art already. Cause I, I mean, in my head, I would think I would like, I have the story and I'd probably waste a bunch of time looking for a publisher and not even think to get the art. Mm-hmm. Well, when I wrote the story, as I wrote it with each page, I had a vision of what I wanted for the artwork. So I would put that, you know, opposite on the opposite page and just flowed like that. And then when I showed it all to Jocelyn and gave her um, my notes, she just ran with it. And because she is such a talented equine artist, she had all the little nuances that a horse person reading the book would expect. Um, And she uh, just can't say enough about her and and her fine artwork is unbelievable. Might I just mention um, I'm on tackroombooks.com, which is where you can mm-hmm. find out more about you and the artist. Mm-hmm. The front cover is pictured in a great big picture. You can even mm-hmm. see the little teeny tiny detail because the horse is galloping away from us in the picture. The teeny tiny detail mm-hmm. of his standing martingale. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think there's a little stirrup leather piece behind yes, the, the little yes, girl's leg. I mean, you know, yeah. Yes, and and you can no see one, the frogs in his hooves. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's, her, like I said, her attention to detail is amazing. Some of her artwork I've, I've seen. I went to her studio on Nantucket. She lives there six months out of the year. And um, she does life-size commission portraits of horses and oh, dogs goodness. and that's amazing. <laughs> You'll be shocked. You would think you're looking at a photograph when you see her artwork. So, it's a, you know, between the story and the artwork, it's, it, it came out much better than I even anticipated. But I'd be nowhere without Jocelyn. She really, she took it up to a level that I'm really proud of, to be honest. Well, I think that it's, you know, the illustrations and the artwork is so important in children's books because it drives so much of the story. And then you know, we horse people are probably, I mean, and I don't know other hobbies outside of ours as well, but I just feel like horse people are especially critical of the details like you're talking about. I can imagine working with an artist who's not a horse person and just being like, bah! (laughs) 
Yeah, the the first picture that this other artist gave me, I thought, oh my God, he's got a halter on the horse and reins, but no bit in the mouth. I ah! thought, this will take me 10 years ah, <laughs> to get it right. And I thought, this will, this will not work. And then when Jocelyn sent me, started sending me some um, sort of sample work, and it's all done in oils, by the way. It's just absolutely oh. beautiful. Um, she... You know, I just looked at it and I thought, look at the pic, you know, his face looks just like his face and the markings. And then, of course, the barn work and whatever. Um, she got every detail. So that makes it fun for me as a horse person. And we've had a lot of good response from Hunt Club members who have bought it and and uh, people from her website. She has quite a following. Um, they've said this is really very sweet, and cute. So we have high hopes and. The pandemic hasn't helped. You know, we were planning on going maybe to Wellington and selling it there or the hound shows, you know, things like that. So I'm hoping 2021 will will be better. Open some of those <laughs> for that. Yeah. 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 So, so do you think you'll do that? this again? Oh, oh, sorry, Jen. I was going to ask, what, what age group is this um, targeted yeah. towards? Um, Obviously well, adults because I want one, but other than that. <laughs> Yeah, other than adults. Well, certainly you could read it to children, you know, that are probably three years old. They'd sit and probably look at it. It's not that long a book. I think it's about 16 pages of text, something like that. So it's not that long. But um, for a child to read it on, on their own, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of out of that loop as a grandmother now. But I'd say probably kindergarten, first, second grade, something oh, so like that. Readers, and then, yeah. yeah, young readers. And I think, you know, little girls and their ponies, you know, how that's just a lifelong thing. And I think kids who are little girls, boys, eight or nine, maybe Perfect. would even be happy to read that. So, well, they're going to relate them because the main character besides mm-hmm. Beaufort is Sally, mm-hmm. who's their age group. So that's kind of mm-hmm. neat that the, the reader mm-hmm. is going to be able to relate directly to that main character. So they can kind of be the story. That's pretty neat. Oh, I, I think it. so. And yeah. And I, I like it because it's all um, the stories told through, you know, the horse's perspective. So the horses talk to each other a little bit. And so that was kind of fun too, but uh, you know, it's, black it's fun. And I yeah, it kind of, yeah. A little bit Rita Mae Brown influence there. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, with the animals talking to each other and having opinions about the other horses. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a really nice experience. And I was just so pleased when last week it came up on Amazon and it, you know, that really sort of sealed, sealed it. And we, you know, saw it to fruition, which is um, kind of exciting at, at going on 65. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So do you think mm-hmm. you'll, you'll do another one again? Do you, you, or do you feel like this was just kind of a one-time inspiration from a, a special horse? Um, you know, I did have another horse um, before Beaufort that I absolutely adored. And I didn't have him long. I had him on trial. And he... He, he was just the sweetest, but he ended up having navicular at five years old. He was only oh, five oh. in navicular. And so I had to give him back. And that, that was a tough story, but um, it was a little bit of a rescue kind of a situation. So that, that might, that might come about, you know, that's sort of percolating and he's, he was a solid chestnut. So maybe Jocelyn would take on <laughs> on the job because it would be a little bit easier than doing the paint but uh anyway it's it's been it's been a lot of fun so fun so why don't you uh-huh. tell our our listeners how they can find the book and i wanted to have you on now so that it you know if anyone wanted to hurry up and try to get one ordered for the christmas season they could get their hands on uh-huh. one yeah, um, well, it's on Amazon, um, and you just uh, search Beaufort the Painted Pony, and it will come up, and it's on barnesandnoble.com, and I even think it's uh, on a UK site, but I don't have that yet, and then um, my my uh, webpage is Pack Room Books, and you could either contact me, or I think, I believe there's a link on there to Amazon as well, and then there's a little piece on uh, Jocelyn and her biography, um, and a link to her website. Excellent. And we will put that website mm-hmm. for sure in our show notes so that listeners can just go to the show notes and click on it and get right to it. So thank That's you so much great. for joining That's us, great. Candace, and sharing the story of you and Beaufort. 
<laughs> well, thanks for having me. And I look forward to um, your future podcasts. They're really great. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Candice. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. In 2006, Daily Dose Equine was founded by Janet Geyer when she was searching for better feed options for her own horses and couldn't find them. Today, Daily Dose Equine's seven different feed and forage balance formulas provide all types of horses with the quality nutrients they need, but none of the fillers or additives they don't. Daily Dose is made with non-GMO ingredients. You won't find any wheat middlings or distillers grains in Daily Dose Equine formulas. Plus, feeds are flame-roasted to improve digestibility, lower NSCs, and eliminate mold, bacteria, and other contaminants. You can learn more about Daily Dose Equine at DailyDoseEquine.com. And Daily Dose Equine feeds and forage balancers are available nationwide through Chewy.com. Now, I've got a, a, an important question that I'm going to pose to you today, Tara. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. You're Joe Schmo, and you want to try out fox hunting. Um, but you want to try out fox hunting in an area of the country where you don't live. You go, you've gone somewhere to visit with family for the holidays, or yep. your work has transferred you temporarily to some other part of the country that just happens to have a fox hunt. What should I as that person do what what's the order of go should i just call up a fox hunt should i contact people in the that ride first what should i do to maybe i'm stuck there for the next three months what do i do well i think it depends on a couple of things so i i've done this when i when my friend and i went (laughs) (laughs) i'm really shy too when my friend and i went to the world equestrian games in tryon north carolina i knew there were hunts over there and a gentleman who's actually the huntsman for Piedmont had judged our hound show, but he was from the Greenville Spartanburg area. So I contacted him and got some names and contacts to reach out to the hunts over there and worked it out and was able to hunt. So if you have a personal contact, I would always start there. However, if you're going someplace where you're not a member of a hunt to begin with, and you know, you're completely you've maybe hunted a few times, kind of like you, Jen, maybe where you're, you're not a member of a hunt, but you've hunted a few times and maybe you're going to um, California and you want to go hunt with Santa Inez or something like that. I would just go to the MFHA website and they always have the appropriate contact person on there, which usually want to get in touch with the secretary or one of the masters and work out the details in that regard to, you know, do they have horses to lease? Do you, know, do you need to talk to members about borrowing one? Um, you know, it's when we went to the Carolinas to hunt, um, we, we went out, my friend and I went out the first day with both hunts. We road whipped because they didn't have, nobody had an established barn that leased out horses. And so we road whipped to, with Tryon and with Green Creek. And then what's road after whipping? road whipping is a lot of hunts are active on properties that are crossing public roads. And so they'll have people on the roads to kind of a, a lot of the road whips have the hound tracker. So the hounds have GPS collars and the road whips have the computer to see where the hounds are. Mm-hmm. So they can, it's easier for someone in a car to track cause they can sit and park and look at it as opposed to the huntsman or the whips. Mm-hmm. And then they also, if you know, if they know the field and the hounds are coming and need to cross the road, they'll block the road to protect yeah. them to, to cross for, yeah. for safety. Glenn used to do that when we up, were up in myopia. He used to love road whipping. It is. It was fun. I mean, obviously, I'd rather be on the horse, but you definitely see a, another side of hunting. So I would always encourage, if that's your only option, to definitely do it. It's you're not going to miss anything. You're actually going to be more in the activity, and then you can. You're sitting in a car with someone, and you can who's knowledgeable, right? And if you're a non-rider, it is a great way to really participate in the hunt, and it's a very social activity because you don't have to worry about the amount of chit chat going on. Yes. Yeah. And, and one of the road whips we rode with in the Carolinas is a photographer. And so, and he knew the territory really well. So he'd get to really good spots and, you know, to places to take photos. That was really interesting. But after we rode whip with both hunts and they were like, oh, okay. Like these, these women are legitimate and they clearly know what they're doing. Then we were able to borrow horses and actually ride with Green Creek. Um, Yeah. So it's, um, I wouldn't say like if you're completely and like they don't know you at all. 
I wouldn't bank on somebody's going to be like, Hey, here's a horse. Right. But if, especially if you're going to be someplace for a few months, you know, get to know them, you know, let, let the hunt know you're a knowledgeable rider and, or a knowledgeable fox hunter. And uh, I've said this a million times. I've never gone to a hunt that wasn't just warm and welcoming mm-hmm. and encouraging. Yeah. Maybe get, if you're going to be, like you said, if you're going to be there a few months, contact them and ask if there is a member of the hunt who can recommend a place for you that you could, I'm going to use my air quotes, I'm using them a lot today, take some lessons. Because sometimes yeah. it's a case of you're going to shell out your 40 or 50 bucks or whatever, take a couple of lessons, um, even if they're lessons that happen in the open versus in an arena, with a local professional, whether they're that has a relationship with the hunt, even if they're not a member, that is going to get you in the door. Because as horse people, we're all very protective of who we allow to sit on our horses. Yes. And sometimes that's yeah. really all it is. It's just like, okay, I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going to take a couple of lessons, get to know everybody around here. Um, I'm going to make sure I'm riding horses that they care about to a level that they, they feel, feel comfortable with. And then you're off and running. There you go. Wholeheartedly so, agree. Oh, always pack your hunt clothes when you get transferred temporarily. That's the lesson. Yes. yes. <laughs> and bring your own stirrup leather. Somebody gave us that advice a little while ago. If we've had a couple guests who have said that. Someone went to a trip in Europe and they took their own stirrup leathers. And then we had another guest who, um, it's kind of funny. I'd never thought of it that way. But yeah, I, and now I know I'm going to take my stirrup leathers and my stirrups. Yes, because I don't wear tr- I don't use traditional English stirrups on my saddle anymore because I'm old and worn out and really should be retired. Uh, so I would bring those along too. I went back to my yeah. old regular stirrup irons a couple weeks back when I went out for a cross country school. Oh my, I gr- I regretted that for days. What stirrups do you use normally now? Um, now I use they're called endurance stirrups, but they're actually a throwback to Mongol stirrups. They have a very very wide foot base. Oh yes, that covers almost half of your foot. Uh, and because I've got a lot of broken parts, uh, a regular stirrup iron, I'm fine at the time. But then old fractures and old chips and stuff like that get irritated by using those. And then, yeah, uh, yeah and then you've got to take a bath in Tylenol for a couple of days. But So I'm going to carry both. But anyhow, fascinating stuff. So how to, how to get yourself uh, started in a, with a fox hunt that you maybe don't know or and, you know, let them be be straight. Don't don't pad your uh, your your CV. Just be straight with yes. it about it because yep. it's an exciting sport. Yep. There we go. So I think it's time for our next guest, Claire, and she's going to yes. have a chat with us. And she is a gal who typically does show hunters. Is that right? Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. She is very much a show hunter. There we go. Well, let's get her on. Yep. Excited to talk to her. So I'm excited on this episode to be chatting with Claire Kaus-Taylor, who um, anyone who is a regular podcast listener of Equestrian Podcast may recognize Claire's name from the Amateur Hour podcast, and she's also a fellow show hunter. And we've been connected on social media for a few years, and I've been enjoying watching Claire's journey with her lovely, adorable hunter, Pluto. And recently, Claire posted some pictures that she had gone fox hunting so, Claire, I would love if you would introduce yourself and where you live and tell us a little about um, your horsey self, and then I'd love to hear about your fox hunting experience. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Um, I live just outside Baltimore, Maryland, and as you mentioned, I usually show my horse Pluto in the adult amateur hunters. I've been riding forever since I was a kid. And Pluto is very special, and I'm very, very lucky. Um, And I mentioned on my podcast, Amateur Hour, that I was interested in trying fox hunting, that it was like a bucket list thing for me. And um, two friends from Instagram reached out and invited me to join them. I love it. (laughs) Yes, it was so much fun. What hunt are they? Are they members of the same hunt? Yes, they're sisters. Um, it's Kara and Genevieve. And they're sisters. They are... I'm going to forget the name of their hunt. And I remember it. So that's... It is the... Oh my goodness. I'm going to mispronounce this. Wicomi... Wicomico. Wicomico hunt. Yes. Yes. Uh, on the eastern shore of Maryland. 
And it was a perfect, I I feel like it was a perfect first hunt to go with. So I'm guessing you did not take Pluto. (laughs) No, although it's funny you ask because my friends and I have recently been joking that since I loved it so much and I started riding him in a field that maybe we'll go and try to do third field uh, this spring. Well, you know who is in, I think he's still actively fox hunting is Brunello. Really? Yes. When he, when they retired him from showing, they just, he was exclusively fox hunting for a while. So, um, kind of a fun tidbit, but tell, tell, talk about, so as a fellow show hunter, although I came to hunters later in life, I, I have found for myself, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and experience that, you know, hunters obviously are based in fox hunting. And so what were some of the things that really stuck out to you fox hunting that kind of made some of the huntery things make more sense or opposite? Yeah, it's funny you say that because one of the thoughts I had while I was fox hunting was that I think all show hunters should try it once. Because I think that a lot of the things that seem very antiquated and kind of silly make a lot more sense once you've done it, like once you've actually been immersed in the experience. Certainly the outfits, because the outfits, when you're fox hunting, everything is purposeful. But obviously when we're in the show ring, it just all feels very like silly and antiquated sometimes. And Um, arbitrary. And arbitrary, completely arbitrary. But when you're out on the feet, you know, when you're out um, fox hunting, it makes a lot more sense that, you know, you need to have your stock tie in case somebody gets hurt and you need a bandage. Um, I also just think the, the concept of, meeting obstacles out of stride makes a lot more sense when you're fox hunting. We, yes. we actually weren't like jumping. We, we were on one that we were on a, I can't remember what they kept calling it, like not a setting, but um, we were in an area that didn't have any jumps, but at one point there was like a bank and I was on yeah. the greatest horse. Oh my gosh. What a wonderful, wonderful horse. And I named Atticus. And at yes. one point there was like a bank and he jumped up it. And I was just, you know, I was thinking like, well, there was no decision making, right? Like it was just that we were like cantering and I used the word galloping and I've definitely seen videos of it since then. I've been like, oh, this is just a canter at most. <laughs> like That's funny. This was not a gallop, but you know, okay. I'm still going to use the word galloping because it feels very, uh, it feels much more like, it sounds much more like what it felt like. But so, you know, we were like galloping through the field and then we jumped up this bank and there was no like, okay, I'm going to measure my distance. It was just, we're going to get to the other side of this, you know? And I think that makes a lot more sense than when you're in the show ring and you're, you know, coming out of the turn and you're really trying to measure and find that distance, just the meeting things out of stride. So I actually thought it all made a lot more sense, all those traditions, once I had been in the experience. Awesome. So, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you and, um, I came to both sports at relatively the same time and having grown up, I have a pretty Western background growing up in Eastern Montana, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like I think the counting strides thing has gotten a little bit taken to an extreme in the hunter ring. But at the same time, I think knowing and understanding the length of your horse's stride and getting to the jump safely to get your horse a good spot is hugely advantageous in the hunt field. But then you also have to kind of know how to, go with the flow and deal with the crappy spots when you get them, um, to get over the, the jump safely. But the Atticus, I'm curious, do, you know, so tons of our listeners kind of like your experience where you, you said on your podcast, you wanted to try fox hunting and I, people reach out to me a lot about it and different hunts have different setups, but did a, like, did the girls who introduce you find a horse for you or did they have horses to lease or how, how did you come about finding Atticus who sounds yeah. like an experienced hunter? I would guess he is. He, I kept calling him. He's like the Pluto of hunt horses and Pluto's. Aww. And if you guys don't know Pluto, he's just a wonderful guy who loves his job and is very conscious of protecting his rider. I think, um, he's precious. He's, he's a good guy. Um, so, He's, he's Kara's horse. So Kara and Genevieve reached out to me and invited me and Kara said, I'll let you use my horse. He's really wonderful. And I will borrow a horse. So she borrowed a horse who was lovely, but she was no Atticus. (laughs) (laughs) Special hunt horses are very special. Yeah. He was such a good guy. I mean, 
I was like, I was, I would stand, you know, when you're waiting, when the, when the field master was out with the hounds and they were doing their thing, looking around. Um, I know I'm using these terms. All. <laughs> it, that's called uh, a check. Okay. When they were doing their checks, Atticus and I would just be standing there, you know, he's on the buckle and then they'd come and you, you wouldn't have a ton of notice. Like we had more notice cause I was in the second field, but still it was a pretty quick turnaround and we would be, so we'd be going from standing on the buckle and he might be trying to eat some grass to cantering in a matter of a minute or two minutes. Yep. And I was just like, what a good guy. And like, you know, and he didn't, he never got jazzed up. He, there were times when he was a little bit like, you know, you are not good at this and I know what I'm doing. So please, you know, just let me handle it. And I always did because he was right. He knew exactly what he was doing and he was very sure footed and did a great job. But I was just, I was very impressed with, I was impressed with all of the horses to be able to handle that. They all kept their composure. Even if there was a horse, you know, even if like the first flight started galloping past the other direction, the horses all just like kept their cool and kept doing their job. It was, they were all wonderful horses. It was really fun. Awesome. Did, do you know what Atticus, his, did he have a job before he was a hot horse or did he just, has that been his only career or do you know? Yeah, he was a prelim eventer before they got him. Okay. I did, I think you see a lot of the, um, what do I want to call them? Like the, the kind of packer hunt horses. I feel like oftentimes they're kind of a step down from a different career. Or, you know, they got like too hot for the ring or burned out in the ring or something like that. I My first hunter was my reigning horse that I took to the world championships. And he had a thing on his knee and he couldn't spin anymore, but he liked running and jumping. Um, so do you think you'll you'll be do you want to try hunting some more oh definitely I think it's one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life much less with a horse it was just very fun and I felt like it was very uh kind of freeing you didn't have to I you aren't sitting there concerned about your equitation you know you're concerned about or I was not concerned about equitation I was concerned about my function and staying in the saddle and so I did, you know, make sure I kept my heels down just to keep myself in the saddle. But it's not like when you're in the show ring and you're so hyper conscious of every little part of your body and, you know, all your commands. It was just very fun and you're just running and nobody cares what you look like. Yeah. I definitely want to do it again. I think that Pluto will eventually really like it. I think that when we try it the first few times, I think it's going to really uh, upset him. But I think he's going to like it a lot. <laughs> Well, and, and I'll give you the, the, un, some unsolicited advice that I've always been given from people who I've started two horses in the hunt field. Well, technically three, if you count Jaguar, but he, he, yeah, he was kind of Mr. Perfect, but I had a not off track thoroughbred who miserably, like he failed miserably from the hunt field. And then I currently have an off track thoroughbred who's amazing in the hunt field. But what people have always told me, and I think it's true is to start them in the slow field before going to the fast field to kind of, you know, help them. And then they're not as up close with the hounds because the hounds together can often be kind of unnerving for them until they get used to the sound and the smell. But just from watching Pluto, you know, I've seen a ton of your schooling videos and show videos and stuff. I think he'd take to it pretty well because he's pretty social, isn't he? He's very, very social. He's every horse and every human is his best friend. Um, he's He's very social. He loves his pasture friends that live near that go out near him. I Aww. think that I definitely we we definitely plan to start him like third field and go to a little bit of a slower hunt to begin. Yeah, but I think that's a good idea. But I think he'd enjoy it. I mean, you know, I think he's he's a horse that is he's so smart and I think he'd be interested in trying new things and having new experiences. Well it's not like he needs to get any better at his job. <laughs> He's, right. He's I mean, he's, he's, I feel like, you know, a lot of those horses like Pluto, it's like we need to improve, but they're kind of there. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I got him when he was five and it's, it's just been so interesting to watch him because now he's really gone from being a green horse to a schoolmaster. You know, my friend, yes. my friend Olivia from my podcast came out to my barn to have a lesson and my trainer was trying to explain something. And I don't know if, you know, a horse that didn't understand it and the rider who was just learning it, um, they were just having some difficulties. So my trainer, I, I happened to be on Pluto at the time. So she said, can she get on and feel it on Pluto? 
And I, it was such a proud mom moment, you know, it's like, Oh, I got, I took him from this green bean and now he's teaching people, you know, and this was a pretty sophisticated, I cannot speak today, sophisticated um, movement that they were trying to do. And he was able to teach her and I was just so proud, but uh, to your point, yes, yes. He, he doesn't need to get overly trained anymore. He's a good guy. How old is he now? He's 11. Oh, that's a wonder. That's a great age too. It's the best age. So to kind of wrap things up, then I think you should tell everyone a little bit about your podcast and how folks can find it. And y'all talk specifically about the amateur experience showing and not just in the hunters, but also because Olivia is an eventer, right? Yes, absolutely. We, my podcast is amateur hour. If you're looking for it, you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Um, you can just search for amateur hour colon an equestrian podcast. And it is me and three of my friends, um, Taylor Bodson, Kelly Wilson, and Olivia McDowell, Olivia Kelly, excuse me, Kelly Taylor and I all show in the hunters and Olivia events. So we're, we're mostly talking about eventing and, um, showing and hunters and jumpers. But everything we talk about is very amateur focused. So it's just our intention is just for it to be like friends hanging out in a tack room, chatting and catching up. And we hope that it's engaging and entertaining and funny. But it's fun. It's just a fun thing to get to do with three of my good friends. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and visiting with us about your fox hunting experience. And I cannot wait to see pictures and videos of Pluto out in the hunt field. Well, thank you so much. And thank you again for having me on. This has been really fun. Absolutely. You and your horse can enjoy all the benefits of a lightweight, splash-proof, durable, and easy-care Wintech saddle. Featuring world-leading innovation for your horse's comfort and performance, the care cushion system, and the revolutionary Easy Change Fit Solution. It's easy to see that WinTech is as serious about your performance as you are. Whether simply enjoying time together with your horse or competing at any level, there's a model in the range for you. Stop by your local retailer and have a sit in a WinTech saddle or find out more about the new and improved WinTech Specialist Confirmation Saddles at WinTechSaddles.us. That's WinTechSaddles.us. Well, that was a fun chat with Claire. I always, it, it excites me to get show riders out into the hunt field. And I, I, I feel like I'm kind of a broken record, but I just, the hunters, especially, I think you learn and understand so much about the rules and the attire and tack and whatnot in the hunt hunter world when you go fox hunting and it's just fun. So thank you every much, everyone very much for joining us today. And you can find me on this Tara on Instagram, just search for at TN Tibbets, two B's and two T's. You can find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. That's right. Make sure you have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go. Go to your app store, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, and download the Horse Radio Network app. It's free and easy to use. You can choose to have all of the Horse Radio Network shows automatically downloaded to your show, your your phone and there are a heap of them or you can just pick and choose which shows you want and of course the fox hunting episode monthly on horses in the morning should be one of them and thank you very much to the folks at horseware for sponsoring this show and uh, good night good night